right. Good morning, everybody. Oh, come on. There's not enough of you. Let's go. You're going to be loud and excited to be here. Good morning. All right. There we go. Good morning. Let's give Jesus a hand clap this morning. Let's celebrate. I know we're all a little tired. It's that weird time of year where we don't know what day it is or whether or not we're coming or going. Uh, everybody's a little tired, right? Especially those who've traveled and broke over the border. Uh, Sorry, I didn't mean to say that live on air. Did I just say that live? We're just kidding, Governor. So anyways, uh, we want to welcome you to South Coast Community Church, especially if you're watching live online or it's your first time. Uh, we, we pray that you're blessed this morning. And uh, my name's Jamie. I'm the associate pastor here. And uh, it's, it's a beautiful day to be alive. It's a beautiful day to be here and worship together. And I pray that we all just take that moment to really just appreciate God's grace, you know. The breath in our lungs, the heartbeat in our chest, and the realization of what we do have, the privileges. Even It's, it's kind of weird how when they take things away, we get to see how valuable they are. So I, I would just say that this is a time or a season for us to really sort of gauge and, and, and kind of recollect all the things that mean the most to us. And uh, it's a good time for that any day, but especially now. So I was sharing with Pastor Brian this morning, and, and before we get started, before I even share what I was going to share, I just, you know, I know we just had Pastor Appreciation Month, and we're very grateful that you all recognize us and, and thank us, and, you know, um, it, it does mean a lot. But not to negate that, I think what we do often forget to do is, is we forget sort of um, how taxing it can be to lead a church. Um, I think we take it for granted we walk in here every Sunday, Pastor presents to us a, 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 always a good word. usually remember my dreams. Um, but I walked into his home, and he was sitting in front of his basement fireplace, and he was just sobbing. And I sat down with him, and I didn't know what to say. And, I, and, and you know, the thought process, such a vivid dream, you know. And, and like I said, I don't dream a lot. And I just didn't know what to say to him because he was just crying more than he usually does. <laughs> and then I looked at him, and I just said, without reciting the whole verse, I just said, Galatians 6, 9. 
Galatians 6, 9, and he just looked at me and he stopped crying, he wiped the tears and he looked at me and he smiled and he just nodded and said, Galatians 6, 9. And that's how I woke up this morning. And so I want to uh, encourage him as I encourage you all. Galatians 6, 9, it says, uh, you know, let us not lose heart in doing good for in due time we will, we will reap if we do not grow weary. And I think a lot of times what happens is, is we grow weary. Ministry is tiring. Life is tiring. Parenting is tiring. Work is tiring, right? But a lot of times we, we grow weary because, you know, in the flesh we're trying to do as much as we can and balance as much as we can. And as Pastor has been pointing out, the only place we can find true rest for our souls is in Jesus himself. Amen? So I want to pay, pray for Pastor Brian um, you know, before I, I uh, open up the service, but if you could all just bow your heads and maybe just extend an arm to him if you're here, and if you're at home, I just ask you to pray as well, um, that he be encouraged and refreshed this morning. So, Father, we come before you, Lord, your people, your church, uh, grateful, Father, to know you, grateful for your grace in our lives. I think sometimes we, we take that for granted, and Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that you would just put your hands on our, our pastor. That you would give him a refreshing this morning, a rejuvenation, God, in his soul, in his spirit. Father, as we know, the outer man is perishing, but day by day we are being renewed by you. And so, Father, I pray that he would feel that renewal this morning. I pray, Lord, that he would know that his work is appreciated, that he himself is appreciated. Lord, that we love him for who he is. And God, that we love to watch what you're doing in and through him on a, on a weekly basis. And so we thank you for his obedience. We thank you for his commitment to you, to this church, and to whoever you put in his path. A lot of times that's not even people from this church. And so, God, I just, I ask you now, Lord, to fill his spirit, Lord, as he gets ready to share a word this morning. I pray, Father, that he would be so encouraged and full of zeal for you. That the excitement in him would be palpable. Lord, that we would see Christ in him and hear you through his words. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I read a quote yesterday, and it said, and, and I'm sure many of you have heard it, and, and there's a, numerous people who are sort of, they attribute it to, but I'm going to go with unknown, <laughs> so I don't have to quote anybody. But it says, if it matters to you, you'll find a way, and if it doesn't, you'll find an excuse. And, and, you know, I've heard it a, a bunch of times for some reason when I read it yesterday. It really hit me. Um, what are some of our excuses? You know, we're, we're sitting here talking about what faith in our lives looks like. We understand the effects of faith. We understand what faith is in a sense that it's the, the saving grace of God. It's, it's the belief that, you know, of 11, or Hebrews 11.1. 1, the hope of things not yet seen, but the assurance of these things that we hope for. But we make excuses often for not applying that faith to our lives. You know, and, and so 
you know, I'm talking to you as brothers and sisters in Christ. I may look tall from up here, right? But I'm right there with you. I don't, I didn't think so. That's why I have to stand beside the pulpit. But my point is, is I'm not talking down to anybody here. I'm talking to you because we all make excuses. We all sort of, you know, get tired or we get busy. You know, we get lazy and complacent. You know, we get to a place where we're content with what God has done in our lives or, or maybe where we're at. And we think, this is it. This is good. I can manage this. I like this. And so I'm just going to stay right here. I'll go to church on Sundays and I'll listen to the music station. But, you know, we didn't get saved so we would be nicer, kinder people. Maybe swear less or stop using drugs. We got saved to serve. We've got, we, we were saved to glorify the king and to do kingdom work and to build the kingdom of God. That's really our purpose. And so I think a lot of times we mistake it for our comfortability and we put our, our American dream spin on our Christianity. And that's really not what we're called to do. So we need to stop making excuses today, church. Amen? I pray that, you know, Pastor Brian's words today really penetrate hearts today and minds. That as we start to put our, our faith into action, that it wouldn't just be about busyness, but it would be about obedience and commitment and dedication. We're gospel workers. We're ministers of reconciliation. We're ambassadors for Christ. And we're supposed to be the light of the world. And that means every single one of us, not just some. That means wherever we go, the light of Christ should shine so brightly that it should cause people to question their own disbelief. It should cause people to question their way of living and who they are and what their convictions are. That's who we are. And so this morning, I pray that it wouldn't just be another church service for you, another sort of box that you've checked off for the week. I pray today is the day that some of you either meet Jesus for the first time and have an encounter with him that is life-changing, or if you've gotten lazy and complacent like I have many times in my life, that today would be the day that you come alive and rededicate your life to the one and only Savior and King, Jesus Christ. So let's all um, welcome Pastor Brian as he comes on up this morning and shares a word. And, and again, continue to pray for your pastor. He needs it. Love you, brother.
know, I'm just trying to get through two weeks, like, of life, and people are being blessed. I have another friend of mine who's here today with his family, my friend Rich, and I want him to share. I, had, I asked him if it, was, if it was okay if he would mind, because it was probably a couple years ago when you first kind of reconnected with me. But here's a guy I knew from high school, and he connected with me one day, and he said, hey, you know, went to high school. I don't know if you remember me. I said, you were probably a good kid because I don't remember you that well, which is, probably speaks well of you. But, uh, but anyway, we connected. He's brother in Christ. And he just shared a couple years ago initially about the impact our ministry was having in his life. And I just thought, you know, you, the big picture in this, and he's going to share. I'm going to ask him to share. But the big picture in this is not just... Pastor Brian and Jamie or South Coast, it is a bigger picture of if we as individual Christians understand that persisting in our faith, that not giving up, that becoming weary but pursuing, that being truthful about our struggle, that encouraging the body, that this is essential for the body of Christ everywhere, that our struggles are bigger than us. And if we can be faithful to the little things that God has in front of us, there is a kingdom impact that's much bigger than any of us. And so I'm going to ask Rich to share a little bit about the the impact and the testimony. But what I want you to hear is that big picture of what what would it look like if, if I, you as an individual, if I persisted in my faith, even when I felt like giving up, what kind of an impact would I have not knowing? You know, I shared with you a few weeks ago, a few months ago, about the average pastor, you know, as about seven years in ministry, and that's it. And I just think, what if, you know, three, four years ago, what if I would have just said, this is too much. I'm going to go back to building computers. I mean, that's easy. Computers, you know, I mean, they're problematic. You kick them, you throw them out, that's it. People are problematic. You get in trouble when you do that, right? You can't quite do that. But what? But I know I'm not going to, this is the call of God in my life. I can't, I can't walk away from this. It's difficult, but it's a privilege, and it's rewarding. And so I just want to encourage you in that to persist in your faith. But I want to ask Rich to come up. Do you have the, the handheld, Rich? Pastor Jamie, you got that? And you could, you, wherever you're comfortable, you can stand there. You can come up here. But I just ask Rich to share just for a minute um, from his heart. It's funny because I kind of feel like I'm at home when, when I come here because I've listened in for the last three years, uh, and I hope that I can articulate what this, this group here has meant to myself and my family and my wife. I mean, it's, it's, changed, it's changed my life. Um, I, uh, I got saved back in, in 1997. Uh, I was living in the world, man. I was drinking, partying. I was into drugs. And God got a hold of my life through the Christian Fellowship Center. That's where, I, where they, they reached out to me. I got saved. God got a hold of my heart, changed my life. I met my wife. She was uh, a, uh, going to Zion in Rhode Island. We got married. We had 30 kids. And... Uh, <laughs> We got, we got married, uh, we moved down to Virginia, and my wife got into ministry, and uh, while I was in school down there at law school at Regent, she was in, in ministry, uh, we had a friend who reached out to us to plant a church 
in Maryland. So we're like, hey, let's do it. You know, we went out there uh, and we planted a church. So uh, we took over the children's ministry. And for the last 16 years, from the outside, everything looked, wow, man, look at Rich. He does everything for everybody. He's the children's pastor. He's, uh, he helps people out. He leads a Bible study. He's one of the elders. He's, he's doing all this great stuff. He's helping out all these people. Man, when you need something, go to Rich. He's just, wow, he's amazing. People in my life group would say that, wow. When all this time, I was doing it for me. <laughs> and I didn't realize it until... You guys, I forgot which one of you, and I always have my, my great awakenings when I'm driving to Canada, okay? I was driving to Canada, the, when I got saved in Canada, actually, when I, when I came back, and then I was driving my does son. Does that count then? If you get, it does, okay. it does. It's just, a double salvation if it's sure. in Canada, right. up north, you know, I was, you know. So I bring, I'm driving out with my son, and I forgot I was going through Facebook, and you know when it pops up? It had Jamie that popped up. And I'm like, Pastor Jamie. <laughs> Sorry, dude. I mean, and then Brian. And I said, I remember these knuckleheads from high school. <laughs> and I said, they planted a church? Wow. I got to check this out, right? Of course, me, because I'm holy, you know. Uh, that's, you know. I, I look into it. I, I plug in there. And I listen to this message. It was on David. And I'm going, oh, my gosh, I drove eight hours just soaking in those messages, just listening to them. And I'm like, whoa. When I, the first time I went to Canada, I got saved. I came back. I said to my sister, God is real. He really is. And she's like, okay, that's great. I came back and I said to my wife, you're not going to believe this. You have to listen to these guys. And of course, she's like, you know, you always listen to boring speakers, you know, like whatever. And I, I continue to listen. And one of the things that you spoke on was John 15. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. I cannot produce fruit unless I remain in him. And I said, holy cow, I'm not remaining in him. What fruit am I producing? And I started to realize that I was getting my satisfaction not in the Lord, but doing the work of the Lord. That was my satisfaction. I was getting my satisfaction in working 12 hours a day. I was getting my satisfaction in coaching football, coaching baseball, serving in the children's ministry, three services. And I had to teach them all because, you know, I'm the best. You know, I had to do that. That's what I was getting my satisfaction in. And it just floored me. It was like a gut punch. I'm like, oh, my gosh. What have I done for my children? I've been out here doing this. I've been just doing the work of the ministry. And have I been getting my satisfaction? Well, no, I haven't. And then here recently, it really impacted. So, of course, I take your messages, man. And I, I always email you for your notes. And I got to share this. I share, I'm like, I don't know, I'm like a little South Coast Community Church in Maryland, right? I share these Bible studies with my life group, okay? Um, and Matthew eleven twenty eight, just come to me. It's that simple. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. I wasn't delighting myself in the Lord. I was delighting myself in the work of the Lord. And what good is that? 
And it, oh, it gave me an opportunity where I said, okay, God, well, it's up to you. This is you. You are asking me to come to you. While I'm coming to you, what do you want me to do? And many times I felt like I was supposed to send you guys a long email and just tell you about all this stuff. But, and it's just it's crazy that you called me yesterday. But I'm sitting there and I'm listening to your sermon <laughs> on what's your excuse. And it just, it tore me up. And I just had to come to him. And I said, okay, God, I'm coming to you. Do you want me to resign from ministry? I'll do it. What do you want me to do? No, I'm not going to resign from ministry because that's what I want to do because I'm selfish. It really is. Well, what do you want me to do? I'm having these arguments with myself. And it just so happens that COVID hit and our campus closed down. And I was the director of the children. That campus closed down. And I'm like, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And I could feel the Lord saying, hey, idiot, I'm telling you what I want you to do. All right, are you sure this is you, Lord? I'm in the shower. Are you sure this is you? Yes, it's you. I, I was like, wow. So I... When I went into church, I like, uh, I'm a leader there, and they said to me, okay, we closed down Leitersburg, but we want you to be the overall director of all the elementary for the children. Oh, so I'm going to take on even a bigger responsibility. And I said, right now, guys, I'm just going to be honest with you. God is telling me to come to him, and that's where I'm at. And okay, all right. And that's what I've done. I've simply just been coming to Jesus at his feet because of what you guys did. Uh, and it's just changed me. It's changed me in my outlook on my family. It's changed me with opportunities. I have ministered more in the last four months because of just coming to him. Not in vocational ministry, just living out my life. And if you guys didn't live this out, I, I wouldn't. I, well, I'm sure God would use something else. Right. But I thank you guys. I thank you for the ministry that you have here and how you guys have impacted my life all the way in Maryland. And I know that you're doing it everywhere and people don't even realize it. You know, you don't even realize it. So thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Appreciate that. You know, one of the things that, you know, I really... Uh, wanted to point out and, and glad that Rich touched on is, you know, we can be doing all the right things. You know, we can be in the church. I mean, what we've been talking about, what we preached on, when Jesus was talking about faith, the people who were his disciples, who had been with him, who had seen firsthand, those are the people who said, I'm going to describe your faith as you of little faith. And the people who were outside the church, as outside as you could be, Gentiles, Canaanites, unbelievers, those people, um, those people had a great faith. And I just think it's important that we recognize there's a difference between, you know, an outward religious expression and an encounter with Jesus Christ. There's a lot of things that can motivate us to do good things, and Pastor Jamie touched on it. We didn't get saved, so we'd be a little bit nicer and swear less. And so every time we gather, it's for an encounter with the risen Christ, and everything we do should be an overflow or an expression of that encounter, even when we don't feel like it, even when it doesn't look like we think it should. And so thank you, Rich, for sharing, because I think the important thing is, you know, from the outside, we can kind of get into this almost autopilot comfort mode, 
And at the same time, the Lord's knocking on the door and he's trying to get us to press in deeper. And that's what we're going to look at in the scriptures is the Lord's not content to test our faith and we pass that test. And then he goes, okay, good, you've passed and I'm done with you now. Doesn't work like that. And we're going to see that. That's going to be the title of the whole, the whole message this morning. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now. And if we could stand, I'm going to pray for the service. And then we're going to, uh, we're going to continue to press into this message on faith. Lord, we, Father, we are so grateful that we are all just small pieces of the beautiful tapestry that you're weaving. And, and like, like Rich mentioned, Lord, you, you would use somebody else. You would use your ways will be accomplished. But what a great privilege when it gets to be us. What a great privilege when the expression of our faith is obedience to you so that in the, that obedience, you can use us to be glorified, God. And so we get to be a part of your plan in the lives of, of each other, God. And it's important as we, as we walk through this life and as we struggle and as we achieve and as there's victory and as there's joy and as there's mourning, that we do it in community, God that we're willing to be honest about our struggles, that we're willing to cry out when we're having difficulty, but that we persist, that we know what it's like not to give up because it's bigger than us, God. It's about your gospel. It's about your kingdom. It's about your work. So have your way this morning in each of our hearts. Father, even now, as Pastor Jamie prayed, God, we pray that if, if anyone's here, if anyone's listening and they don't know Jesus, that you would soften their heart, Lord, that they would have an encounter with you. And for those of us who, who know you, who, who've given you our lives, God, let us honestly assess our lives. Let us not just leave here this morning and say, that was a good sermon, that was you know, good testimony, good worship, that was, but let us leave it and let us ask ourselves, what is it I can do in the coming year? to more actively live out my faith. What does that look like? Let that be on our hearts. Speak to us this morning, Father, because you don't deserve 99% of us. You deserve all of it. You paid on that cross for our lives, God. And our only response is to offer ourselves fully to you. Paul says it's our reasonable act of worship. So have your way in this place. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth we pray the fears, the anxiety, the, the chaos, all the, all the things that the enemy wants to bring in right now that you would clear our minds and our thoughts and help us to focus only on Jesus, that beautiful name, Jesus. We love you. In his name we pray. Good morning, church. It's great to be with other people, even if we're few. Amen. Uh, so this list, uh, Christmas is over, but really Christmas is never over in our hearts. Amen. He's always come for us. He's always, um, God became flesh and dwelt among us. And so all these songs um, just speak about how we, our response to that, how we should be adoring him. Amen. So I hope that you worship him this morning.
heavens declare the glory of God and all of the world will join in praise his wonders proclaim the oceans and skies the oceans and skies lift up their voice and all he has made will rise to bless the king of all kings let us adore let us adore him let us adore him jesus christ is lord come and behold oh come and behold him bow down before Praise you, God. from your hearts this morning. Oh, 
all praise, so let us adore. Let us adore Him. Let us adore Him. Jesus Christ is Lord. Oh, come and behold Him. Jesus Christ is Lord, Jesus, oh Jesus Christ is Lord, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is Lord. Praise Him, church. Hallelujah. Praise you, God. For that holy night, hallelujah. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Praise you, God. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. by the light. 
you God chains shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease praise you God sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we let all within us praise his holy name Christ is the Lord oh Oh, 
give you glory this morning, God. What you've done for us, but also how you've done it for us, God, that you could have come as a mighty, mighty tyrant king, God. You could have taken possession of all that is yours, God, but you came as a humble, lowly servant, Lord, as a child to show us how we must be like children, God, how we must our egos and be humble and serve God. Let us this morning learn to follow your example, Jesus. Wonderful. 
wonderful counselor his name shall be everlasting father his name shall be prince of peace mighty god his name shall be emmanuel we'll praise your name forever we'll praise your name forever we'll praise your name forever christ oh christ the lord praise you god your name be lifted high we'll praise your name forever we'll praise your name forever we'll praise your name forever christ oh christ the lord his name shall be wonderful counselor his name shall be everlasting father his name shall be prince of peace mighty god his name shall be emmanuel his name shall be wonderful counselor his name shall be everlasting father his name shall be the prince of peace and mighty god his name shall be Heavenly Father, thank you for meeting us here in this place, God. Again, we just ask that you help us to focus our hearts, our minds, our attention upon you, Lord. We pray that you remove the distractions. We pray that your spirit do its job, Lord, to convict us, to comfort us, to guide us, to embolden us. Father, we ask for an increased measure of faith and, Father, an increased measure of obedience to live that out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I, I begin sort of the little, the little conversation. You know, I don't audibly hear, you know, the voice of the Lord, but you, you, you know, you have this, this comfort level. You have this, you know, this sense of, of, uh, of relationship, really, right? Prayer is just communication with God. We, we try to make it more complicated than that. So we're sort of, you know, I wake up and it's kind of like it's been, it's been so many things the last few weeks that I can't, that sort of the pattern has been I wake up and go, okay, you know, before my feet hits the ground, like what, what, what things do we have to deal with? And so that's kind of how it's been. So this morning when I wake up, it was kind of like, oh, wait, we're, we're at the end, right? And it's like, we made it, Lord. You know, the Lord's saying, we made it. You know, kind of celebrate. Take a deep breath. Like, I've taken you through this again. Remember this moment. Next time life gets difficult and you're surprised that the Lord's taking you through it. So we sort of have this thing. And, and, and I'm task-oriented, right? I have spreadsheets and links. And so in my mind, today was the last thing 
I had to do on my to-do list. Preach this message this morning was the last of a series of 40 things in the last couple weeks. And Pastor Jamie's going to preach the next couple weeks, and I'm going to try and, and disconnect a little. So, I'm, you know, as, the, as we sort of celebrate, as the Lord tells me, you know, you know you're, you're, you're okay. We made it. Uh, you know, I have you. We're here. Take a deep breath. And I said, well, you know, Lord, it's just the sermon's the last thing. And then I have this thing of like, well, obviously it's the most important thing, Lord. I mean, I know I got I to gotta preach the sermon. That's the primary thing. And then it was like he said to me, were you not preaching and all the other things you were doing? That's when you know it's the Lord. That's when you know it's like not me just talking to myself. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean? I mean, I did a funeral. I did did all the stuff. It was all, like Richard, it was all good spiritual stuff. And I felt like he was telling me, you know, I could have been with you for all 40 of those things. And it was a reminder that this really, and when I talk about what we're going to talk about with faith, there's two ways you can live. There's only two ways. Life, death, black, white. The Bible's clear. And you can either live your life centered on self. And man, I'm like, I mean, I'm still a pro. I can, I'll win awards on that. Like, if that's the game, I won. Not good at a lot of stuff, but that I'm good at. Self-centeredness. Or... You can live your life centered on Christ. And I was just having a conversation in the back about I have these conversations with atheists all the time about, you know, this, you have to determine how you're going to live, how you're going to make choices. You have to determine what it is you're going to live your life to. What, what end? What are you going to give your life over to? And most people will tell you that you'll be fulfilled if you give your life over to your own pursuits. I haven't yet any, met anybody yet. I haven't met a single person who said that they had arrived. I meet a lot of people who say, well, if I just had, you know, if I just finished this class and had this degree, if I got this raise or this job, if I had this income level, if I got, you know, it's never enough. It's always some moving target. We said last week, uh, we said on Christmas Eve that what we're looking for is this deep abiding peace. I heard it said once that the only difference between the secular and the sacred is that the secular doesn't yet know it's sacred. That, there's not our spiritual lives and then like our work life. There's just one life. And God's sovereign above it all and he's in control of it all and nothing happens that's outside of his plan or purview and it's not surprising And so we can either react to it and we can, you know, I I think I look and I I think of most of my life I just lived as sort of a reaction to, to what happened to me. Like most of my life, I woke up and I just reacted based on what happened. It wasn't even really thoughtful. And I wonder how often do I still fall back in that same pattern of going, I'm just trying to get through these things. And Jesus going, I want to be the center of every single one of those things. No, but Jesus, once I, once I get through these things, then I'm going to read the word. Or then I'm, No, no, no. It's funny, you know, Jamie, it's, it's, it's not funny. It's like creepy now. Like he's dreaming of things that are really happening in real life. I mean, I shared on Christmas Eve the struggle of the past weeks. And the only reason why I shared it is because, you know, it's because we, we get a picture of, we look at everybody else and it always seems like everybody has it together because we don't see their heart. 
We just see what they present. We don't, you know, we don't see the struggle. And so that's why I shared about this just, just, you know, this just tiredness, just tired, like literally sitting in the UPS in Fairhaven and just being like, what is wrong with you? Like, get it together. You have, you have packages, you know, like you're going to fund the tissue industry yourself. Why are you crying? And it wasn't just like little tears. Like, I'm like, there's people that are going to see you. This is ridiculous. It was like embarrassing, like in a parking lot, like, what is wrong with you? And I think, you know, what, what really got me is I realized that I, I try to do everything and live everything, I, you know, and, and live, and I try to not be broken. Like, I try to not embrace the areas where God wants to break me. God wants me to be broken. And, and, you know, it's okay if my kids get hurt and they run up to me crying and they just want to be comforted because they got hurt and it wasn't what they expected and they're in pain and they need my comfort because they love me. I want that to happen. I want to do that with my kids. And yet with God, it's like I have to have everything put together and I'll encounter him on my terms. And he says, okay. Okay, how's that working out for you? And you'd think I'd know this stuff by now. And I realized it in random places like a parking lot. And my sadness wasn't so much that all this stuff happened and it was a bad week. It was a profound sense of Jesus going, I've been here all along. I was with you in the middle of every single one of these things. And, 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 and there was like this distance. It was like, like, Lord, like, I'll let you in when I can, you know, it's like we put these shells on. We, we want to put this suit on to protect us. And in that, I think we, we become increasingly isolated and, and we can find, you know, this, this sense of comfort in all this religious stuff and we can pretend that we're doing everything we're supposed to be doing on the outside and it's so easy. There's a reason the Pharisees fell into this legalism. It wasn't that they were, I mean, they had the truth. So, so it's more than just the truth that leads to, to godly living. It's got to be the way we process it. It's got to be spiritual wisdom. It's got to be being spirit-led. And we're going to see again and again, it's humility. It's obedience. It's being okay to be broken at the feet of Jesus. To not pretend that everything's okay. There are some of you in this room that are like, a, you know, a, a one bad thing away from a complete breakdown. I get it. Believe me, I get it. And so in this place, Jesus wants to meet us here and now. And so the question becomes, do we try to hold it together? See, the good thing about the Lord is he, he does break us, or he allows us to come broken, but it's only to heal us. It's only to help us. And see, some of us like came like partly broken to Jesus, but we held on to all this other stuff, and we're still holding on to it 20, 30 years later. Same stuff. And the Lord's saying, I want to meet you here with this. We said last week that it feels like there's a storm going on around us. And so how appropriate that we just celebrated the one whose birth, life, death, and resurrection gives us hope in the storms. I mean, that's the message of the gospel. That's the message of Christmas. Christ has come. The light shines in the darkness. And we said last week that the writer of Hebrews defines faith as confidence. Confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. 
We said faith is where the work of God is made real to his redeemed. Your faith life is where God works out all the promises he has for you and for me. So we we began last week with both a statement and a question, and I want to start here again. You of little faith, observation. Why are you so afraid? An invitation. And that's where we are. And again, like I said last week, if, you, if you're here and you're like, you know, I feel like my faith is strong. Me and the Lord, like, I don't feel like it's little faith. Maybe he's not talking to you then. Maybe, this, maybe he's just talking to me. I don't know. But if you're like most of us, if you're not here now, certainly you will be or you have been in moments, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? An observation, an invitation to self-examination. What needs to change in your life in the coming year? An active faith is what we're going to talk about this morning. And a living faith is always active. A true Christian is always fruitful. And how much fruit we bear has more to, to do with our tolerance than pruning to pruning than anything else. I'm going to say that again. The fruit we bear in our lives have, has more to do with our tolerance to pruning than anything else. I'm going to make the case for that in a whole bunch of ways. Scripture is going to make the case for that. But we can see it in our own lives. Over and over again. It's not, it's not hard to, to see that. It's not hard to, to understand that. We know that. It's clearly true. How much fruit we bear has more to do with our tolerance to pruning than anything else. God has worked his miracles. We've seen it. We've seen God work in our lives and the lives of others over and over again. We believe he's fulfilled prophecy. We believe his claims to be the Messiah. We know that clearly in Scripture, again and again, Jesus has said following him is to be the priority of everything else in our lives. And then what happens when we struggle? What happens when difficulty comes? Too often we respond with fear instead of faith. Too often I respond with fear instead of faith. I know the truth of scripture. I I stand on those truths. I believe and affirm them in my heart. Yet something happens when difficulty comes. And so I want us to spend more time with the scriptures that we talked about. And I want to look at some biblical faith examples. I want to go deeper this morning, and I'm not going to preach for the next couple of weeks, so I'm going to finish it up no matter how long we're here. I'm going to get it, get it done. Shouldn't be too long. Shouldn't be too long. Preach. It's easy to have faith when we're comfortable. It's easy to have faith when it looks the way it's supposed to look. When the Lord says, do this, and we look and go, makes sense, and we do it, and we get the desired results. In that, in that scenario, and sometimes that's what happens, it's easy to have faith. So, oh, the Lord told me to do this. I did it. It all worked out. Isn't that wonderful? You know, when it's hard to have faith, when all of a sudden this guy that you were following that was supposed to be the Messiah, they, they killed him. They put him on a tree, and now you're hiding in a room. And, incidentally, and it's not part of the sermon this morning, but you know what Jesus says? In that moment, the first words he utters to them. Now, this is the context. Nothing has gone the way they expected. They're following this Jesus, and they're like, this is great. This dude's going to rule everything. We're going to have a part in his kingdom. Like, this is a good gig for us. Then he gets taken away, 
and nailed to a cross. They're like, this is bad. This is not good at all. We better hide. And so they hide in a room and they're filled with fear. And Jesus comes and he stands among them. And the first thing he says to them is peace be with you. But that's always what Jesus does. He always knows exactly what we need, where we are in the moment. The question is, do we, do we hear him? Because I don't know about you, but I see in scripture and I know in my own life that God pursues me radically. I mean, there's been times where I've been like, would you just leave me alone already? I mean, I've given up on me. Why haven't you? And I don't know the answer to that. But I know that the cross is the ultimate symbol of God's radical pursuit of us. If you question God's love for you, look no further than the cross. We said last week that Tyre and Sidon were Gentile cities that were 50 miles away. 50 miles on foot. Jesus left the church building. When he had religious work to do, he, he, he should have been, the disciples, he could have been like, okay, guys, here's the thing. You, you guys, you know, preach to the Jews. You can't keep doing this thing. I'm going to go 50 miles that way, and I'm going to go to talk to a Canaanite woman, okay? Like, Jesus, no, this is not in any ministry plan. What are you doing? You're leaving the church to minister to the margins? Why did Jesus do that? Because he loved the religious people? Yeah, yes. I mean, less. No. You know why he did that? It was response to the heart. Here was this woman who, again, we saw last week, who Jesus was going to say, the only person in all of the Bible that Jesus was going to look at and say, you have a great faith. The only human being that we know of that Jesus looked in her eyes and said, you have a great faith. That was what was going to happen when he went the 50 miles away. The disciples that were with him every day, that saw the miracles, that experienced it, that witnessed it, that had no doubt, Jesus was like, hey, I'm going to pray. Can you guys? They're like, all right. And then they take naps, like falling asleep. Jesus was like, guys, like, what's up? Seriously? You guys are a train wreck, all of you. I mean, I, I look and I just go, somebody should, he should have had like a management consultant. Like a team come in before he picked those guys, they would have been like, yeah, none of these guys are good. Let's bring in the next crew. But it's for his glory. See, we're not remarkable. I know, I mean, some of us are more remarkable than others. Gary White's here, he's obviously very remarkable. But for most of us are just average. God doesn't look around and go, ooh, I need that guy. Yeah, that I can use. This guy, oh, that, that. He says, whose heart is submitted to me? Who do I get to use today to affect eternities? Like Rich said, it's going to be somebody. If it wasn't South Coast, or it's going to be somebody. So your faith journey is much bigger than you. I tell the Teen Challenge guys all the time, you're here for you for like five minutes. You're here for you till you realize and you give your life to Christ, and then you realize now you're here for everybody that Jesus has you to encounter. I didn't get, you know, I didn't get, I couldn't even imagine had the result of my Teen Challenge experience, has God gone, gone like this? I, I took you from certain death. I lifted you up. I planted you in a place where you could be nourished by the love and the word of God, extended for 15 months that you could do this, 
Through that, you lost your father. You were separated from your family, but you persisted. You pressed into me. You had an encounter with me. And now my goal, just go back to like, like the way things were before. Just, just don't do drugs. Don't swear. Like Be a little nicer and just go back to that. I couldn't have done it. There was no way. How, how when you've been rescued, are you not going to tell everybody you meet the first thing about, hey, let me tell you about my rescue? How do you not do that? Now, I don't mean everyone's a vocational minister, but I just made the case to you that the 40 things I did were all ministry. Preaching to you here is no more spiritual than sitting down with somebody who lost their loved one or then, you know, doing a million other things, going to the UPS store and trying to be Jesus. I was in the, the coffee shop. I was in Cumberland's, and I went to Cumberland's, and there was a guy, and he was obviously disheveled, and he was obviously, and I just tried to make a conversation with him. You don't think that was ministry? God often shows remarkable and unexpected love to us like we see from Jesus to this woman of Canaan. And her response, I mean, I just, I just love this. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. I mean, just a, just a full explanation of who he is from the line of David, the Lord of lords, the one of whom you ask for mercy. How many times in my life have I come to God with anything other than that? You see, this should be our initial response if we rightly understand who we are and who Jesus is. If we encounter Jesus and we understand who we are and who he is, if we really understand that, we can't help but have any other response. Then have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, and he does. She understood who Jesus was and many of his own people didn't. It should have been easy for the disciples to have faith. It should be easy for us to have faith. You know how many times I've looked at a situation or, 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 or a scenario in somebody's life and I've been like, yeah, that's, that's. And God's shown up remarkably. I mean, I, countless times and I've gone, what? I mean, I didn't see that coming. So I know, this is not like, well, maybe it was God. I mean, I've literally been driving down the highway in prayer and having a conversation with God and him going, like me going, well, God, give me a sign. Like, you know, those days it's like everything. Like, well, Lord, give me a sign. And literally the conversation was like, well, what's going to be convincing to you? I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I'll know it when I see it. I, 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 on, I want to say, I swear, honestly, driving, I was going to Fall River. And there was a sign and it was, on, it was a billboard, and it literally said, your sign here, because it was an advertisement for the billboard. And, and it was like he was like, how's that? Is that good enough? And I'm going, okay, I get it. And I could have been like, well, that wasn't you, Lord. I mean, at some point, you just go, okay, right? We've seen it, church. I've seen Jesus work in my own life. Not only am I convinced intellectually it's true, in my heart of hearts, I know it's true more than I know anything else. And yet I respond with fear over and over again. Why? This woman only heard about him. And when she encounters Jesus at first, she gets silence. Sometimes it feels like he's not responding. I'm going to share. We're going to look at the story of Abraham. 
It doesn't make sense sometimes what God seems to be asking us to do. But yet this woman persisted. And like Jacob said, I won't go until you bless me. Lord, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to pray. I'm going to persist. I'm going to continue. I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to stay here. I love in Scripture it says, I'm not going to, until you move me, Lord, I'm going to stay here. I'm not going to make a decision. I'm not going to move. I'm not going to do anything unless he's guiding my steps. And finally in verse 28, a woman great is your faith. Let it be as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. You see, we know that God is a good father. We know that he's not unconcerned with our circumstance. Listen to this. He is not unconcerned with your circumstance. He is just more concerned with your condition and with your growth. We said that we said the same principle a couple weeks ago. We were talking about kids. Sometimes my kids, and as your kids get older, they'll know when you give them advice and you tell them what to do, but they don't always know what's best, right? I mean, maybe your teenagers do. My teenagers, they don't know, but I know. I'm a good father. I want what's best for them, but that doesn't mean I remove every obstacles because I know that a level of difficulty is needed to develop maturity, Ultimately, God wants us to be mature individuals. We said, Romans 5, therefore, having been justified by faith. This is, Paul's making a very theological, important point. He said, look, we've already been justified. We're not talking about salvation. We're not talking about us being seated righteous before God. Paul just literally starts establishing that and goes, look, we're not talking about salvation. You are declared righteous. Let's put that aside. Now we're talking about what it looks like to walk out your faith is what Paul's saying. Through our justification, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says now in verse 3, and not only this, but we celebrate in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings perseverance, perseverance proving character, and proving character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Suffering purifies faith, and then faith is always active. And so we said last week that the Bible says, without faith it's impossible to please God. And all through Hebrews 11, we see faith in action. By faith we understand, by faith Abel offered, by faith Noah prepared. And then we get to Abraham. And now there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, Paul had a rough go of it. You know, Joseph had a rough go. Job, a lot of guys had a rough go of it in the Bible. But me, like to me, I'm like, Abraham, it was like, come on. Seriously, again and again with this guy? But it says, by faith, when Abraham was called, he obeyed. That was the, the primary Thing That was his primary response. And so I want to look at Abraham as our primary faith example this morning. And in Genesis 12, we kind of, we learn more about the call of Abram, right? Then the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I'll show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. Hey, Abraham. And I think at this time he was like 75, wasn't he? He was like Gary White's age. He should have been, he should have been retired. Abraham's response should have been like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, 
Like, I've, I've met, Lord, I don't know if you know, I don't know if you've heard, but I've been a pretty religious guy. I've been, I've been doing good most of my life. I'm, I'm a little, you know. Go from your country. Go from your people. Go from your father's house. Leave everything that's familiar to you. Incidentally, we know he's renamed too, so even your, even your identity. What are you willing to give up for Jesus, and what are you not? Verse 4, so Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot with him. He was comfortable. He should have been kicking back, making awesome hash browns for breakfast, right, Gary? Leave your family. Go to an unknown land. This call wasn't what was expected. I mean, I would have been like, all right, what's, what's the next card? Is there another option? I don't want to do that one. Like, can I, be, can I be less than pleasing to you, God, and still, like, right? Because that's what I do. Or are we committed to Christ no matter what? I think all the time when I read these stories in the Bible, what if they would have said no? What if Abraham wouldn't have been obedient? What if it says Abraham didn't obey, and then I always fall back to the rich young ruler and it says he went away sad? And I always fall back to that phrase because if he just went away, I mean, he went away. But he went away sad. What is your faith story going to look like when you come to the end of your life? Because each of us have one. Everybody's got a story. It's all being written. And every day is an opportunity to grow in faith, to understand truth. And so what happens as we walk in faith and bear fruit? Now I know some preachers are going to preach messages and they're going to tell you, they're going to, you know, it's this whole big like, you know, and, and I don't think some people, maybe they're malicious, but I don't think other people, they're not malicious. They're just, you know, maybe it's not the full counsel of God. But some people will preach that, you know, if you give your life to Jesus and you follow him, that things are going to get better for you and that life's going to be easier and that as you follow him, things are going to kind of fall into place. And now in some ways, in some sense, that happens. And certainly I would advocate it for a way to live a, a more fulfilling, meaningful life. But if I had to look at easier versus harder in that scenario, your life's not going to get easier if you become a believer. In fact, I don't know anybody that that's been the case with. When I read scripture, I don't see that almost anywhere. So I don't know how, as a church, we've come to expect that everything's supposed to fall into place when we put Jesus on the throne of our hearts. I think what will happen is we can handle whatever happens because we're centered in Jesus. We're not just responding to everything. And we see our life as a kingdom mission. And it's not for us to determine what the, where the general sends the troops it's for us to go, I'm here as a soldier willing to obey because I have faith that you're a good God and ultimately what you want is better than what I can want. That's what it means. But instead we go, I don't know. I mean, that just looks uncomfortable. And then we go, I feel like, you know, I don't know what the will of God for my life is. I mean, you know, I feel like, I mean, I want to have faith, but I just, you know. Well, have you done any of the things he's asked you to do? Because in order to get to the, the end of where Abraham was, he had to have taken all of those 
little steps in the right direction one at a time. And Rich mentioned it, and I'm going to read it. John 15, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. We get that. Makes sense. You don't bear fruit, you cut off. This is what we don't like. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Why? Because he's cruel? No, because the fruit, and that fruit is always eternal souls. That's the fruit. That's always the fruit of gospel ministry. There's no other fruit. God's saying that fruit is more important than your experience on this earth. If God sent Jesus, who was perfect, to die a torturous death on a cross for a greater good, how can we possibly reconcile the notion that he wants us to be comfortable above all else? It's a lie. It's not the gospel. It's it's just not the truth. Genesis 22. So I love how this starts. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Wait, if I was Abraham, I would have been like, dude, seriously? Like, you would just like, hey, leave your family, leave your job. Just, and I was like, okay. And now that wasn't good enough for you, God? Because that would have been reasonable. And God's like, well, I want to test you again. This one, I mean, this, there's no greater test. There is no greater test than what the Lord's going to ask Abraham to do. And now, just like the exchange with the woman where he's like, it seems like he's calling, he's ignoring her. Then he's calling her a dog. Well, that doesn't make sense. Well, I'm going to reject this whole thing. Well, Abraham, it doesn't make sense. Or God's ways are higher than our ways. And he understands that the faith of this great woman, he understands that this encounter is going to be talked about thousands of years later. It's going to revolutionary, uh, revolutionarily change that woman's life. It's going to heal her daughter. It's going to increase her faith. He knows what's, what he's going to do in the life and in the work of Abraham. He knows what he wants to do with you and I. And so he said to him, Genesis 22, Abraham. What did Abraham say? Here I am. Man, I just think of how many times Jesus has said, Brian, and I just didn't respond. Pretend I didn't hear it. You know, like, hey, I'm doing stuff right now, and I'm actually, I'm, look, this is the Bible, so, you know, back off. I'm doing good, good Bible stuff. What did Abraham say? Not you again, Lord. Haven't I given you enough? I mean, I've said that, like, let's be honest. Like, I've dedicated my whole life to serving you, Lord. You know, like, come on, seriously. Here I am. What does God do with that willingness to to obey? Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Wait, what? I mean, that's crazy, right? The only possible way that Abraham would do this the only possible scenarios that make sense is either Abraham was a sadistic lunatic, which we don't see evidence for in Abraham's life, 
or he knew something about God so deeply that he would be willing to do anything that God asked him. Early in the morning, the next day, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him. You know, I, I, I kind of love that story because sometimes, again, we, you know, we read biblical stories. But can you imagine, you know, you know how, you know, you, when you prepare to go, you know, for a journey, you got to prepare, you got to load the car, you know, you've got kids, you got to go anywhere, it takes, you know, days, you know, more time loading than the journey. But anyway, it's a process. But can you imagine through this whole process, the whole time he was preparing and getting ready, all he must be thinking of is my son, my son. On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. What does that mean? That means for three days. For three days at any moment, Abraham could have said, this is crazy, I'm not doing this. For three days, he processed what God had asked him to do. And it boggles my mind that in those three days, he didn't find an excuse good enough to run away. For three days. Abraham took the word for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them went together. And Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now, again, I know it's easy to just sort of read that, but think about it. Think about it. This is your child. Like, hey, Dad, like, what are we doing here? I mean, there's a lot here. There's a, there's a, there's a lot of depth. We understand the, the notion of sacrifice, and it goes back to, to the lambs that were sacrificed, to justice, to the notion of a blood sacrifice being required. This is all very clear Old Testament truthful stuff, and it's also a foreshadow of the ultimate lamb who would come. So never again would any animal, would ever, any lamb need to be sacrificed because there would be one who would take away the sins of the world. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on top of the altar, and then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the, on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your only son, your only son. You know, people, scholars say, well, you know, God did this to show Abraham his faith, and then people say, well, God did it to test Abraham's faith. All that's true. The reality is, we can't help but, but ask the question, the bigger question, how can anyone be willing to sacrifice their child? It would seem like the worst thing you could do. It would seem like the ultimate betrayal of trust. But Abraham knew the character of God. And in fact, Abraham knew that if God was asking, he should obey. 
Abraham had the kind of relationship where he said, you know, like my wife. I mean, my, you know, I have a relationship now where if she asks me to do something, like there's a, even if it's something I just go, that doesn't, at some point, if she's sincere enough, I'm gonna go, then, like I know her enough, there must be something that I'm gonna trust that. And Abraham that kind of, had that kind of relationship where he said, all right, well, it doesn't make sense. And, and we're going to read right now in Hebrews 11 that's going to give us a little more clarity. Verse, first, verse 13, Abraham looked up in a thicket and he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over to the ram and sacrificed it, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. Faith always looks like obedience. A lack of faith always looks like disobedience. So the writer of Hebrews gives us a little more of an explanation in verse 17 when he says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and the one who had received the promises was offering his only son. It was he to whom it was said, Through Isaac your descendants shall be named. In other words, what the reader of Hebrews is pointing out to us is God made a promise to Abraham, and that promise was only going to be fulfilled through this son. So Abraham didn't for a moment go, well, I guess God's not going to fulfill the promise. Abraham fully expected that after he sacrificed his son, that the Lord must, maybe he was going to resurrect him. Abraham just assumed God would make another way because he never doubted God's promise. And Hebrews chapter 11 continues in verse 32, and what more shall we say? For a time will fail me if I tell of the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness were made strong. Isn't that what God does? If we need more real stories about faith, we continue to look through Hebrews chapter 11 to see what people went through. Verse 37 says, They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword, put into sheepskin and goatskin, they were destitute, they were afflicted, they were tormented, and I love this phrase, they were people of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts, on mountains, and sheltered in caves and holes in the ground. And we go, I'm not comfortable. You want to compare that to your struggle? I mean, I said, I just shared with you, right? I had a bad few weeks. Does that mean that God was indifferent? Did he not respond to me? Nope. No, he was inviting us. He's always inviting us. The call is always press in. I was pressing into all kind of activities, and you know, I, was, I had my, my list, and I was like, I checked off five things today. Six got added, but I got, you know, it's like, but he's going, no, 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 slow down, stop. I love, there was a book years ago and it was too busy not to pray because that's the excuse, right? Too, you know, I got so much to do, I can't pray. In Judges 8, 4, Gideon and his 300 men, Scripture says they were exhausted 
yet they kept up the pursuit. And they came to the Jordan and they crossed it. They were exhausted, yet they kept up the pursuit. They were weary, but they were pursuing. They were tired. They were in need of prayer. They were in need of refreshing. They were in need of a reminder of the promises of God. But they were still doing kingdom work. They hadn't resigned from the fight. Look, I know that life gets difficult. Scripture doesn't sugarcoat the human struggle. In fact, one of the greatest books on struggle and evil is Job. And like presented in Job, when difficulty comes, we have two choices. Like Job's wife, we can curse God and die. We can run away from him and blame him. And when he seems silent, oh, we don't understand. We can just say, ah, it's not true. Or like Peter, just look at Jesus and be like, where am I going to go? You're the Messiah. The words of life. Me walking away from the church or from Jesus doesn't make him any less real. Doesn't mean he's not the Savior. You can center your life on self or you can center on Jesus. And I'm going to tell you from my own experience that I did a pretty good job centering myself on me. Probably better than most of you. Maybe not Jamie, but the rest of you. And I'll tell you what, it just didn't work. I was fearful, and I was empty, and I was unfulfilled, and I was ashamed, and I was afraid. And every time I took something or did something that I thought would take away the pain, and it didn't, the pain became more severe. And eventually, I lived with the reality of that none of the places I'm looking None of the places the world told me I would find meaning and purpose and value seemed to have anything there. And then I encountered this Jesus who says, I have living water. I am the bread of life. And when you encounter that kind of life-giving, nourishing reality, it changes everything. This is a quote that you've probably heard, but it's one of my favorites, and it says, God's will will never take you to where his grace will not sustain you. God's will will never take you to where his grace cannot sustain you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as I close. He said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul's like, but, 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 no, no buts. I'm enough. Our problem is that we forget who God is. And we need reminders. See, Abraham wasn't perfect. He made a lot of mistakes. He lied twice about who his wife was because he was afraid. See, we all fail, but at the end of our failing, what's going to rescue us, what's going to bring us back home, what did it for Abraham and David and Paul is they knew who God was. At the end of the day, that's what's going to take you home. Read his word. Know his promises. Spend time with him. Share your faith story with somebody else. Reach out when you haven't enough time. I certainly know for sure that the journey is part of the prize. I've shared before 
And one of the, you know, there was a discussion I was watching years ago now, and it was, they had some new age people, they had some atheists, some agnostics, uh, some people of Jewish faith and some Christians, and they were all discussing God and faith. And there was one guy who's an agnostic, and an agnostic, a theist says God exists, an atheist said God doesn't exist, agnostic goes, ah, you can't know, I don't know. Actually saying you can't know is a truth claim, so... We'll, we'll, we'll put that aside. But anyway, they think it's the default position, so they'll say, I don't know. So this guy, he says, you know, my whole life, he was 50-something years old, he said, my whole life I've pursued the truth of God and the things of God, and I've tried to determine as best as I could what truth is. And he said, and I've encountered some brilliant people on, on all different sides of the theological issue. And he said, but one thing I, I'm sure of is that it's a journey of faith. And he said, and if there was a God, I could see why he would have done it that way. And I just thought, how do you get there? Because basically he's recognizing the relational. He's, re- he's recognizing the relational component of the gospel. How do you get there? I mean, I know it's just rebellion, but it's certainly not intellectual. The journey is part of the prize. I want to close and paraphrase an old preacher. So he said this, so faith like love is always unfinished, just like Abraham's faith. We should be very weary of religious people who have answers to all the questions. Is it not ridiculous to suppose we could clearly know and understand all there is to know about God? With God, there is always more, as indeed with love. As Hebrews puts it, we desire a better country. We are seeking a homeland. And God is always more. He is always beyond. And so we go on in thought and musing and in prayer to seek our Father, who alone has all the depth we will ever need. In him our needs are met, yet he came and met the needs of others and wants us to move our lives to that. Father, we are grateful for your word, even when it hurts. Even when it makes us uncomfortable, and it's difficult, and we don't like it, Because we are convinced of the truth that you are perfect and good and just and loving and sovereign. That you are our source of meaning and truth and value. That all we can do in response to what you did for us is to kneel down before you and say, have mercy on me, Lord. And so we say that now. And we ask that in your mercy you forgive us, that in your mercy you increase our faith so that you use us. Help us to be obedient, to not make excuses, to not look at what you did in our lives yesterday, to not look at the victories and and, and have that be the finished work, but to submit ourselves to the pruning, to the testing knowing that even when you seem silent, that even when it doesn't make sense to us, that your ways are better and bigger than our ways, that you're always working, 
and that most of the time it's in ways we don't even see. But as we are faithful to the call of the gospel in our own lives, it has an effect throughout the world that with 12 people, Jesus came and spread the message of the gospel and changed the world. So Father, help us to recognize that this gathering is only for us in that we meet you here. We are changed and refreshed by your power, your presence, and your truth. And then we are sent out to go and be your ambassadors. You've done our part, Lord. Help us to do ours. In this last Sunday of the year, if you guys wouldn't mind standing, uh, if ever there was a time when we saw the devils trying to take us out, it was this year. At least that's how it felt for most of us. And so with this song, it says, um, I'm going to see a victory. And that could be taken in so many different ways. It could be taken of like, well, you know, I need a parking spot and here's my victory. We are going to see a victory, even if everything from here on out looks horrible, because Jesus died to save our souls. Amen. So here on earth, uh, we need only to trust because the battle is his. So as we sing this song, just sing it into the new year, um, trusting and obeying that God has made a way even if we can't see it. Amen. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, I know it won't prevail. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph My God will never fail Oh, my God will never fail Cause I'm gonna see a victory I'm gonna see a victory For the battle belongs to you Thank you, God. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. There's power in the mighty name of Jesus. There's power in the mighty name of Jesus. Every war he wages, he will win. So I'm not backing down from any giants. I know how this story ends. Hallelujah. Yes, I know.
take what the enemy meant for evil. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Praise you, God. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. God, we lift you up in this place, Lord. Your name be praised here, God. In the air, God, but in our hearts. God, we pray that you just fill them up this morning, God. Here in this room, God, but also online, Lord, that we just are arming ourselves for your battle, God, but also said that we're so full that we can't help but spread the gospel because it's just spilling from us, God, that is just pouring from us. Lord, we ask that you just... God, give us that obedience and that courage to get our hearts really right with you. Lord, nothing else matters. And as this year comes to a close and a new one begins, God, we just ask that it not be about resolutions, but about repentance. God, that we come into this new year just clinging to you for all it's worth, Lord. Let us surrender our hearts and our minds to you, because you are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful week. Give me